Are you looking to modernize your veterinary practice by offering virtual care to pet owners? Fortunately, there's an easy solution from the podcast sponsor, Medici. That's M-E-D-I-C-I. Medici is a telehealth solution built for veterinarians. I've made it easy to check out Medici with a link in the show notes, or you can head over to their website, medici.md, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. Medici lets you text, call, and video chat with clients with their easy-to-use app. Send or receive images and videos of pets, stay VCPR compliant, and get paid, which is always a wonderful thing, for delivering convenient care right from your phone. Hi, this is Dr. Aaron Smiley, and I've offered telemedicine to my clients since I started. In 2017, I integrated paid telemedicine with Medici. Ready to go virtual? Visit Medici.md, that's M-E-D-I-C-I dot M-D, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. And with that, here's the show. Welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I have a special guest. Tyrone Ross, CEO of OnRamp Invest. He's also the founder of 401, a storytelling consultancy. He was recently recognized by Investment News 40 Wealth Management Magazine as a top 10 advisor, like so many great things. My personal favorite, last but not least, is he's probably the fastest man in finance. <laughs> so he was a 2004 Olympic trials qualifier in track and field in the 400 meter. Tyrone, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. We're going to get into Bitcoin and the crypto overall. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's cool as I'm one of your biggest fans. So this is pretty cool for me. I'm fanboying out. <laughs> <laughs> so for those, and I know most of the listeners today will not know who you are, Tyrone, and there's so many good stories. And one of the things that I just want to kick things off is you've encouraged me to look and think about just being gracious and saying thank you and just like really appreciating what I get to do. Yeah. And I think even right before we clicked record, I was dealing with something that was driving me nuts. And I'm like, you know what? This is such a good problem to have that I get to do this on a day-to-day basis and I'm pulling my hair out doing something, but yeah, won't have time necessarily to get into your backstory. But just for those that's listening, I think it'll come through. You are truly one of the people that I feel like gives so much and I'm appreciative of it. So thanks for the time because again, the new role at OnRamp and so many different things you have going on. This is a blessing. So I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you. And again, it's, we don't need to spend much time on it. It's out there. But the main thing is, right, a first generation high school graduate, grew up poor and with parents that didn't have much of anything. My mother was a teenage mom. So when you don't have anything and you truly getting it from scratch, one of the things that they put in this was being appreciative, always being grateful, always saying thank you. That's the one thing you could hold on to because a lot of times people were doing things for us. So my mother would always, boy, did you say thank you, right? And just instill that in you. So I just felt like as I started to get a bigger platform in this business, I'm like, man, folks are really mean. Why would you just can't say thank you for coming on a podcast or reading my blog or whatever? So it's cool that folks are noticing. And now more than ever in the country, we just need to love and appreciate one another. If I think if we do that, we'll come out of this bigger, bolder and stronger. Yeah, 100%. Last thing is, I know that you're working on a kind of financial literacy campaign as well. Can you touch on that real quick? Because again, part of the purpose of this podcast to me was like to better educate veterinarians around financial literacy and education. But what you're doing is really cool. And I just want to plug that real quick. Yeah, thank you. So it's called Learn to Money. It will be a series, basic financial literacy and education series that we're trying to get into schools. There'll be 12 episodes that we're looking to shoot We did it grassroots. We raised almost $40,000 for the pilot. So we're working on the pilot now with Investopedia and Caleb Silver. The first episode is simply what is money? 
We're going to make it fun. We're going to make it cool. We're going to go after that young demographic. And again, the main thing for me is we want folks to amplify the message. We want to get it into schools so that we can help teachers with a five, 10 minute video and a little curriculum, and then also help people build on this basic foundation of what is money all the way up, right? The last episode might be what is crypto. That's what we're looking to do. And again, I'm dumb enough to believe that I can get people to turn on financial media and go, man, this is fun to watch. So that's what we're attempting to do. And that 90 second trailer has just gone nuts. So super excited about it. And everyone stay tuned. The pilot is going to be special. So, so special. I'll link to the pilot in the show notes. And for those that are interested, great project, really excited about it. And you just mentioned what is money. And to me, asking the question of what is money is kind of what started the rabbit hole going down into Bitcoin. And I want to touch on that in a second. So for those listening, you may have heard about Bitcoin. You likely have certain opinions or been told it's X, Y, or Z. For me, I started reading and learning more about Bitcoin when I was still at Merrill Lynch. I had clients asking when 2017 was here and it was running and people were like, oh, should we put money in this? And I remember the responses being, it's fake money, it's a bubble, it's not real, all this other stuff. And it took me till late 2019, early this year to really dive back in and spend the appropriate time and read and dig in and be like, wow, this is amazing. So I recently published a post, I'm going to post that in the show links, just kind of talking about why I think the founding fathers would be big fans of Bitcoin, but also what is it? Yeah, thank you. But I think what is money is a great place to start and kind of like, what is Bitcoin? How would you describe it? someone that is just heard it from maybe a friend or on a bus or something, you know? Right. So when people come to me and they have the question, I just simply tell them it's internet money. Like that's literally what it is. It's money native to the internet. We've had everything on the internet, but we've never had the internet have its own currency, right? Or money that strictly runs on the internet and through the internet. And that's basically how I explain it. It's a good place to start because you can then break it down and get people to understand all of the things that they do through the internet now, and then get them to understand again, the base and foundation of what is money? Well, money is trust and it's blind trust, by the way. Yeah, I can't see a Bitcoin, but I can see a dollar bill. All right, I can feel it and I can hold coins. But the bottom line is, you were just told at some point to believe that that was money. And the person behind the counter was told to believe that that $1 is a dollar too. And then now they give you a pack of gum because you both believe that that is a dollar, right? Blind faith. You were just told that from small and you believed it. So I think when you combine those two and really get folks to understand that, and again, because Bitcoin has a lot of layers, just simply saying it's internet money, they can kind of figure out where you're going from there. And then you can, without getting too crypto hippie-ish, right? You can kind of keep it very basic as it goes along. But what's fascinating about it though is we have a tendency to look at things through the lens of where we come from. Advisors look at it differently than computer scientists would look at it as opposed to an engineer would look at it or a designer would look at it. So we all have our different ways of looking at it. That's why our Bitcoin really can't be defined. That's what makes it so beautiful. But as humans, we have to create a narrative around things for us to have it make sense. So I think internet money is the best way, or as my sister calls it, space money. <laughs> yeah, my wife, the first time she's like, it, it looks like a car wash token or something. She's like, it's not real. But I, I, yeah, yeah. Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think just understanding that there is trust behind it. And again, there's so much depth that you can get into. And there's so much content that's out there. And again, I'll try to link to as much that I think is good to start. But just to understand that it does provide trust and verification. That's one of the key things that you have a 
group of individuals that believe in this, that kind of self-police. And that's what I love about it is you don't have one central authority or body that's telling you and dictating that there's a value. It's kind of everyone that utilizes it in the network. And I kind of describe it as a network effect. So, you know, why is Google the go-to search engine? Well, it is what we all believe and even use it. And, you know, I'm going to Google that. Same way that like Bitcoin is now that internet money. And there's a lot of other crypto assets that are out there. For me, it's focusing on Bitcoin because I think that's the one that will be the most impactful to people day to day moving through the 2020s. I think it's the story of the 2020s is the gradual acceptance of Bitcoin. But can you talk a little bit about why it matters? Like what's the story behind, okay, it's great. It's internet money. That's cool. It's novel. But why does it actually matter? Right. Again, I think a lot of that has to do with where you sit. But for me, it was... I fight for the unbanked and the underbanked in America. Again, I grew up in an unbanked home. So the minute I was exposed to Bitcoin, I was like, whoa, wait a second. Right. So let's put a couple of things in context. We don't have a real time payment system right now in the U.S. The government says, and it's funny, the name of the program is Fed now, but we won't get it until 2023. But we don't have a real time payment system in the U.S. So I put my check in today. It's going to take two or three days to clear. That's a problem. Again, crypto solves that and has accelerated that. Right. The blockchain technology solves that because, again, if I send it to you right now, peer to peer, you get it. So. The ability to send money peer to peer, right, which is different from a Venmo or PayPal, which you have to break that cycle as well, is you can do this with no banks involved and not having any of those centralized figures. So there's plenty of reasons why it matters. But I think what folks start to understand is the truly decentralized nature of it is there's nobody in between me and you from Isaiah sending Tyrone X or me sending you whatever. I think there's $2.5 billion of value transacted per day cheaply, right? So you can send a lot of money cheaply. So these are some of the reasons that I started to look at it. And then you also look at the math of it, right? And Bitcoin, again, you can look at it as a clock, right? Or as math as well, because it just continues to operate, right? 99.9% uptime. And there's no one that could tinker with it. No one could go in and change the code. Now it's open source. You can add. And Satoshi Nakamoto said right away is once 0.1 is released, that's it. You start to layer on, but that's it. It'll never change. So what I try and get folks to understand, if you look at our current system, and a lot of people like to take the libertarian route and they start to, well, getting the government out of your money and things like that. That's one aspect too. But for the average everyday American to understand it, we have so many options to pay. So yeah, Bitcoin really shouldn't be on my radar. But when you start to look at, all right, well, let's look at some of the pain points that you have. And using the American system, how much is it now to send a wire? $30, $40, $50? It still takes two or three days for money to clear. You know, if it's public and, you know, it's permissionless, then you have the ability to send all of this information. Again, it's trustless. It's verified. You can't tinker with the ledger and, and there's full accountability and responsibility of where things go, right? Which is why when people say, oh, well, there's all this nefarious activity on Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, well, that's dumb. Because it's open, it's public. You can see the addresses and where the money is going. So it's a very bad way to launder money, but folks try. But for any American listening, all right, because we have such a, in some ways, robust financial system, it is just simply a way for peer to peer, me to send money to someone else without a third party, cheaply, efficiently, quickly, verifiable. And again, it's something that when you look at it against our current financial system, hello, MasterCard and Visa. (laughs) right? They're starting to understand the importance of those characteristics on payment rails. 
Yeah. And you talked about Satoshi, which for those listening, don't know who Satoshi is or the group of whether male, female, multiple people. It was created out of the great financial crisis and was just structured to be, again, some independence to allow for there to be what they call sound or hard money. And there's a great video and it's going to be in the blog link. And again, you can go down the rabbit hole and get as deep as you want into this. And it gets more interesting, I think, the further you dig. But part of the reason that it was created was just the amount of money that was created or printed. And they wanted something that was actually useful that they couldn't just go create more. Like even recently, earlier in the year with the stimulus money, they just went in and they're like, yep, we created more money and we're going to send that money out. And so the idea with Bitcoin as well is that there's only ever going to be 21 million. And so it incentivizes the holder of Bitcoin to make sure that there's going to be value before they spend it. Because unlike a US dollar that is going to lose its value over time because of inflation, a Bitcoin is going to get more and more valuable over time. So then you have to have someone provide you value before you want to spend your Bitcoin. And I think that's a really interesting point because you talked about being unbanked or those that maybe have had cash and they're just saving and they're trying to do the best and they don't really understand investing or some of the other things. And they're just doing their best, going to work, making the money and saving it. And there's people that make a lot of money that save a lot of cash in the bank as well. And that loses purchasing power over time. I think that's really important. That was the thing that clicked with me is just looking at it from a financial sense is, wow, this is something you can save. It's secure. I can do it myself and it's not going to lose value over time. It's really interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. And again, that's one of the narratives now. Is it a store of value? Mm-hmm. Arguable. I think, again, is it a safe haven? Is it money? Is it right? There's a lot of these narratives out there. I simply describe it right for myself and clients as a long dated call option on a store of value. It has some of those properties now. It is getting there. One of the things that I was always saying on Twitter all the time is, all right, great. Bitcoin has never experienced a recession. And then here comes a pandemic and everything else. And Now it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's still speculative, highly volatile, but it is starting to show those robust characteristics of being hard money, of being a potential store of value in a time when there has been calamity all over the place and it's starting to trend higher. Now, that is also a result of a lot of the printing that has gone on and folks, again, It's no coincidence that gold is running up. It's no coincidence that Bitcoin is running up alongside it and some of the other coins and silver. And I I know you were talking about that. A few other folks is there's a reason for that. And I think right now, another narrative is digital gold. Is it that right? So all of these narratives help people create a framework. But the bottom line is, yeah, it could be a savings vehicle. Some do look at it that way. Some look at it as something where it's highly volatile. So I'm going to trade that. Some look at it as digital gold. I know I've interviewed Pierre Richard's wife, Morgan Richard, on my podcast. And she was like, clients, when they have conversations about gold, I say, have you thought about Bitcoin? Look at some of these properties here and things like that. So I think it's really important to, as you start to learn and just simply read about it and educate yourself, you really start to create a framework in your head yourself. But as I said before, a lot of it is going to do with the lens you're looking from and as advisors and financial professionals, when we're used to PE and intrinsic value and all these other things, it's hard to use those same constructs that were crammed into our head for something that's so ephemeral and can't really be put into a box. 
Yeah. So you talked about, so first PE is private equity. So a lot of veterinarians are familiar with private equity because there's a lot of money coming in and buying practices because they see there's a lot of value there. You talked about the call option in the future, basically just to distill down that. It's like there's a big upside if it does work out of saying if there's this disruption and change, like Bitcoin can take advantage of that. And yeah, so much of our world is digital already. You know, you think about social media and all these different things and just the way that we go and find answers, it makes sense that the next step would be that financial even just recording a podcast or financial planning or just what money is going to be able to transact through the internet. One of the things that you hear a lot, and you kind of mentioned it, is nefarious activity or this hacking because people will see a story that'll say Bitcoin was stolen. Can you talk a little bit about like security and kind of what that looks like and just maybe the incentive structure of those that are involved in Bitcoin and how that is a unique building block that almost it continues to get stronger as time goes on? Yeah, absolutely. So it's that Lindy effect, right? Every day that it lives, it survives, right? It just gets stronger, harder to kill. But one of the things that folks need to understand right away, when you hear about these hacks, the Bitcoin blockchain has never been hacked, the actual blockchain, which is just a good point for folks to understand. Need to pause here. Bitcoin, big B, when it's written, is about the actual Bitcoin blockchain. Bitcoin little b, when you see that written, is referring to the token Bitcoin that operates on the Bitcoin blockchain. So I always make sure folks understand that when you see it written. So capital B Bitcoin is always referring to the Bitcoin blockchain, which is totally different from Bitcoin, the token. So when you see these hacks, it is usually an exchange where you can buy Bitcoin like, you know, a Binance or a Coinbase and there was one, the Quadriga, that was hacked. So, which is why when you talk about helping folks as financial advisors, right, and as fiduciaries, we have a responsibility. Well, when a client says, I own crypto, you go, where? <laughs> right? And then, oh, I bought it on Coinbase. Everything stops. You do two things. You push crypto assets, a copy of crypto assets across the table. You slide them a hardware wallet that's branded with ID Financial, and you say, we're going to get to that. I'm going to explain that to you because now we're going to have a conversation about custody and self-custody. And the whole nature of crypto is the self-sovereignty. I can hold it. Once I hold it, I can do everything I want with it. But that comes with a lot of responsibility now. It is still very technical, still very clunky. And if you lose it, that's it. There's no FDIC insurance. It's not covered. It's gone. So you want to be very careful with that, which is why a lot of people use exchanges, right? And I also tell advisors, some exchanges are the best houses in a bad neighborhood, but you still want to be very sure that you are talking to clients about what it means to self-custody, which is why you have to see how technically advanced folks are, if they can understand how to withdraw. And they make it easy now. You can copy the address and we can get into all of this, but, and then transport that to a hardware wallet, which is simply literally a wallet. It's hardware that you plug into your computer, like USB, and you can plug it into your computer and you can transfer your Bitcoin or any of your tokens off an exchange onto that device and then hold it. So now I have it. No one can do anything with it, rehypothecate it, steal it, whatever. So when you hear about the hacks, those are exchanges where folks are actually stealing it off of exchanges, which is fascinating about that. And a good juxtaposition is you never hear of Apple being stolen off the New York Stock Exchange, right? Or anything like that. But on the flip side, I also can't take my Apple stock off the exchange and then put it in my pocket and then walk wherever with it, right? So it's really interesting how that works. So to that point, right, there's two types of storage. There's that folks will really hear about cold storage and hot storage. Hot storage simply being that your cryptocurrency is still 
available and attached to the internet. It's still connected to the internet. Again, it's sitting at an exchange or something like that. As now, some of the exchanges do put it in what they call cold storage or deep cold storage where it's offline. Now it's offline. It's the safest way to store your Bitcoin anywhere. And now it's not connected to the internet. Very hard to steal crypto that is in cold storage. So the security, again, everything I'm saying is very nuanced, very complex, still very complicated for the new user, which is why it's just easy for me to log into Coinbase and buy and then just leave it. And there needs to be an education. Okay, well, here's what it means when you leave it there. Coinbase could be hacked. As of right now, they haven't been, but they could be. And now your crypto has gone or any of these other exchanges. So when you see the hacks in the news, that's Bitcoin being stolen off exchanges. That's not the Bitcoin blockchain being hacked. And to your point, the longer that it goes on without being hacked, it just becomes more and more stronger. Again, not to get too down the rabbit hole here, but there's something called the hash rate, which is simply an indication of how secure the Bitcoin blockchain is. And right now that's almost at all time highs. So it's never been more secure to use the actual Bitcoin blockchain. And here's something everyone listening to this can understand. Microsoft has said that they're going to build their decentralized ID program on top of Bitcoin, which was major news and didn't get enough coverage because of how robust and secure the Bitcoin blockchain is. So if there's a technology company that it is to be respected for their acumen around this type of technology and security and new age technology, it should be Microsoft and them saying that the Bitcoin network is so secure that they're going to build their decentralized ID on top of that is a really good indication of how robust and secure the Bitcoin network is. Yeah. And just to recap, when I think about like hot or cold storage, and again, there's a lot of different things. And the great thing is it's a lot easier today because that was the part that intimidated me a lot early on. Like in 2017, when I saw it, I'm like, oh, I don't even know. Like it's too hard. I'm just not going to worry about it. And like slowly over time, watching YouTube videos, reading, reading, reading. I was like, oh yeah, I think I can kind of figure this out. The way that I think about it is, okay, hot storage is I have cash on the table. Anyone that walks by can take it if they're good enough. They come into my house and take it. Versus if cold storage is I've taken that cash and I have a safe in my house and I have a combination and I have some extra security protocol, that is where it would be stored. So that to me is like trying to simplistically think about hot and cold because it does get confusing when you think about, okay, it can be hot on an exchange or cold on an exchange, but there's a lot of different ways. And it's, I think just going back to the ease of sending it, it's not hard to take it off, to send it to your own hardware wallet and self-custody. It's not rocket science. I figured it out. Anyone listening is plenty smart enough to do it too. I promise. Right, right. It's not too intimidating. Yes, it takes a little time and there's a little learning curve, but it can absolutely be done. And to me, I think there's a lot of power in that. And it's also, I think, just encouraging to start taking more control over your long-term savings and the way that you bank for yourself. You can kind of control some of that, which is cool. And that's part of, again, that narrative that I like. And that's not narrative everyone likes, but I think it is extremely important. You talked about disruption. So I think about one way is, you know, if you have someone that's an an immigrant and they're sending money back to their family, like that is so expensive. And I've had conversations, I've had clients that have done that. I've brought up the idea of using Bitcoin and some people aren't comfortable with it yet, but just seeing the cost that they're paying and how much that takes a portion of their paycheck is wild. I think that's one use case, but what kind of, um, disruption do you see for, let's call it the legacy financial system or 
even other areas of our day-to-day life. You think just the blockchain and Bitcoin itself, how does that change things? I think the majority of this has a lot to do. And again, we could do this in another podcast and I don't want to go there now, but there's something called decentralized finance right now, which is really hot, which is on the Ethereum blockchain, which is going to tear our business up. Advisors don't see it coming and it's going to be to the back of the head. So I won't go there, but there's a lot going on there with lending, collateralization, insurance, borrowing. It is unbelievable, right? In some decentralized protocols right now, you can get eight, nine, 10% on your money. I have clients that are collateralizing ETH, turning that into die, and then paying off their student loans. It's insane. Again, we won't get into that. So keep it basic, right? I think one is settlement times. I think once this starts to pick up, the government won't be able to wait until 2023. We should have instant settlement now. I think, again, if you look at MasterCard, Visa, JP Morgan, all of these large names looking at, all right, well, there's billions of dollars of value being traded on this per day. And it is cheaper to move money around. You talk about remittances. One of the beautiful thing about the remittance market is something like local Bitcoins or Paxful. Again, another conversation, but what's beautiful about Paxful is this. Let's just say I have family in Nigeria. My dad's from Guyana, right? And I have an uncle that was deported. He's in Guyana. And I want to send him money. I could walk into a Walmart. I could buy an Amazon gift card for $100. Snap a picture of that to him, the front of the card, the back of the card, send him a picture through WhatsApp or whatever the case may be. He has a phone. Now that he has that, he can log into Paxful, go into Paxful with that money, that $100 that's on that card, depending on the day, right? It's a market in there. They may give you 60 to 70 cents on every dollar on that card. He can then turn that money into Bitcoin. Once he has the Bitcoin on that same platform, can then turn that Bitcoin into Guyanese dollars and then actually use that money to transact. No bank within a million feet of that transaction, all on the internet. It is amazing. Now, what's crazy is you think about how much remittances cost based on the premium there with the Bitcoin and the price, you can probably get somewhere three, 4% on your money by actually doing that. So local Bitcoins is another one that I wish a lot of folks here understood how it worked, right? There's something in the Caribbean community called the Susu, which goes back to 16th century in West Africa, where let's just say there's 10 people Everyone puts in what they call a hand, right? A hundred dollars. There's a thousand dollars in that pot. I always tell people that's the first blockchain. Trustless can't go to a bank. I have to trust you. You have to trust me. There's a schedule when I'm going to get your money, my money, when you're going to get yours. And there's no KYC, AML, any of that, no banks involved. Because when a lot of the Caribbeans came to America, like my dad, they couldn't just go walk and get an account. So what local Bitcoins does, is it's literally a Craigslist for Bitcoin. That's literally what it is. Don't need an exchange. You don't need any of that. I can go online. I can meet you wherever, or we can do it online and I can exchange value with you on there. So these type of vehicles, again, remittances is if you look at what's happened now with COVID, the amount of remittances has dropped immensely, right? And it, it spiked back up because again, there were so many folks that weren't able to now send money back. So remittances, payment, settlement times, I think also do not believe for a millisecond of your life and breath that a lot of traditional folks that are going to fractional shares now and the fees being run to zero, that that has nothing to do with crypto. It's a lie. It absolutely does because they're nervous. Robinhood, 
Everyone is running to get crypto on their platforms, Venmo and PayPal being the latest because they see what Cash App is doing. Cash App is not only banking the unbanked, they are giving them bank accounts, routing numbers, allowing them to get direct deposit. They're giving them debit cards. And oh, by the way, you could buy Bitcoin and fractional shares on there. This is a direct influence of what crypto is going to have happen. The other thing is this. Advisors, by the way, wink, wink, AUM is under attack because as younger clients and everyone likes to say, oh, millennials, they're all after this stuff and they love Internet money. Sure, they do. But you know what else they're going to say is you're not billing on my Bitcoin, Mr. or Mrs. Advisor. Self-sovereignty. I control it. You're not billing on it. Now, I'll pay you for your time. Or I'll pay you for your specialization. And by the way, I know this firsthand. I can't custody my clients' crypto. They have millions of dollars of crypto away from me. They don't want you to touch their Bitcoin. They don't. Older folks may, it doesn't. So it's going to change how our business model has to be structured if we're going to set up our practices to deal with this. That's that. The last, probably the most important is we are going into a realm now where there's this digital divide in the country where those of us that have technology and Wi-Fi and all these things, we're used to transacting online, contactless payments. What's going to happen is every single person is going to have a digital wallet that is going to have their whole life in it. This device changed the world forever. But what's fascinating is it's a wallet already on it where you can put your airline miles, you can put your Apple card, There's going to be a point where all of that is going to migrate onto a phone, my ID. Everything is going to be there. And then there are going to be multiple wallets that I have to be able to transact. Another wallet that I have for storing my assets. And then I'm able to move money from my brokerage here to my digital wallet there, so on and so forth. There is only a matter of time for Google, Amazon. One of them say, Apple, we're going all in on this. They're going to go as far as they can with investment management and banking and make that accessible. And here's the thing. This is what Bitcoin and crypto is missing. This, it's iPhone moment. Hasn't had its iPhone moment yet. It's still so early. Steve Jobs basically said, whatever device you're using is clunky. It's slow. It's old. Watch this. And then you go, oh, I didn't even know I wanted, needed one of those, but I want one, right? Crypto is going to have that same moment. And it may be Apple to say, We're going to make this so you don't even know it's blockchain. It's just done quick, one hand to the other. When that happens, it's game on. And that's where we're headed quickly. Yeah. KYC, know your customer. I did AML. I wasn't sure on that one. Anti-money laundering. Anti-money. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just wanted to reference that for folks that are listening. They're like, I'm not sure what time (laughs) I just said. Yeah. Yeah. And I run in this all the time, setting up accounts for clients. You got to get all this information. I had a client. She's born and raised in Indiana her entire life. and it. Patriot Act flag, like for this and that. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it was asking for more information around her. And that's kind of what that KYC does. But yeah, not quite as applicable. But yeah, you can see that there's a huge shift that will be coming. Again, that's why I think the 2020s is going to be all around Bitcoin and blockchain and all these changes. And that is going to impact every single business because people are going to get so accustomed to using this. And part of the reason I wanted to, to talk about this on this podcast is. A, we want to talk about financial things. And I think people need to be aware of it. But as a small business owner, at some point, you're going to start taking payment like this. You're going to start having people pay you like, hey, I'm going to pay you in Bitcoin or I'm going to pay you in you know, whatever it is. To me, that's just fascinating to see. We've kind of probably hit on it maybe a little bit. Is there a, a soapbox topic or something that you just wish if everyone knew this about, we'll just use Bitcoin. So if I just wish everyone understood this about Bitcoin 
a little better, it would help them. I guess we'll take it to someone that's probably more novice, knowing that the audience here probably has maybe heard of it, maybe not, and never really dug in that much. And I know like if you have someone that's more advanced, there might be a little different answer there. Yeah, it is more advanced one, but I think if everyone experienced it, totally different. Here's what I mean by that. You live two lives when you learn about Bitcoin. One is it's fake. <laughs> Leave me alone about it. And then your second life is I should have bought some when I was first told about it, right? We live two lives. When it clicked for me is when the friend who was badgering me about it was like, just let me send you some. I'm like, all right, fine. You want to send me some Monopoly money? I'm all right with it, right? <laughs> and he was like, download this app. I'm going to send it to you. And then he got three of us on the phone and he said, and when I send it to you, I want you to send it to this person. I'm going to show you how. The whole transaction, we sent $5, I think, to each other, whatever. The whole transaction took maybe 30 something seconds. And he sent it to me. And then I sent it to the other person. You got the confirmation. It was there. I saw it in my account and I saw it disappear. And then you saw the confirmation. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait. And at this point in our business where money takes forever to settle and T plus three at the time and everything else, I'm like, wait a second. And once I experienced it, and I give another example is my old partner, we were down at uh, Inside ETFs, a financial conference, and I'm yammering on about crypto and Cash App and the whole thing. And we're at a red light. I was like, I'm going to show you how to buy Bitcoin on Cash App before the light turns green. And he was like, are you kidding? I said, go into your Cash App. We did it. Done. And he stood there at the light at the corner like, wait, that's it? I own Bitcoin? I said, that's it? It's over. It's done. So I feel like if everybody could just understand that, right? And it goes to my three E's, exposure, education, empowerment. More folks just need to be exposed and go, oh my God, because once you're exposed, now you're going to ask questions. Now I can teach you. The problem with crypto now is everybody wants to teach. You need to know about this. No, I don't. I need to experience it first. And then I go, how'd that happen? Show me the magic trick, right? How's it work? And this is somewhere where you want to show someone how the magic tricks work, right? I don't want to keep this a secret. I want to show you how it works. So I just feel like if everyone were able to experience it, now you get into a situation where folks go, oh my God, this seems like it's done. I have it now. Like I can, yep, absolutely. So just imagine again, if you're my parents, you know, you're going to get evicted today and you get that money, but now I got to go put it in a bank account. And that bank is not going to clear that money until Monday because it's Thursday today. You're evicted. You're on the street. If that landlord takes Bitcoin and I have Bitcoin, that money, he's going to get that money in his account. I get it. I'm going to send it to him. Boom, he has it. Get the sheriffs away from my door. That's big. That is huge. Right. And again, having lived that, <laughs> having gone through that, that can save so many people. But even the average American with saving fees just on all types of things. But seeing it happen, you're like, whoa, all right, this is something I should be paying attention to. Yep. I love the exposure, the three E's, but the exposure piece, because I think that's where I'm at with my brothers. I want to do the exact same thing that you talked about that exposed you because I've talked about it. They're kind of like, eh, but it'll be fun. I'm going to have to do that. I love that idea. So what are good sources? Who are good sources? Where would you send people to just start the education process? Because there is a lot of garbage out there and people that are scammers are going to have just junk. But there are a lot of people that truly care and want to make sure that people do get better educated. Again, get your exposure moment. And then when you look for education, who are your favorite resources? A lot of my favorite resources are like very complex. So I like to scale down. One of the things that I always tell folks to do is one, just simply Google the Bitcoin white paper. It's nine pages. Read it. Read as much as you can. I'm not smart. I read up until the point I could understand. It was like, all right, I get it. Peer to peer. 
transaction system. Like I can understand all that. Start there, just kind of create a framework for it just to understand. Second thing is I prefaced it earlier is crypto assets by Chris Berninsky. What I'm about to say might be heresy, but I believe when we look back, that book is going to be the intelligent investor of the crypto space. It is a must read. If you are to understand anything about this space, you have to read crypto assets and it takes you through the history. It takes you through Bitcoin and then every other coin after that shows you how anything that came after Bitcoin was simply a derivative of the Bitcoin blockchain. Chris Berninsky does a really good job there. And he's also, again, someone, if you are on Twitter, that you can follow. Really, really smart, bespoke analysis. The other thing is there's a few folks that I do follow and I think folks should be aware of that break down really good information. The best in the world, hands down, he has no equal, is Andreas Antonopoulos. You can Google his YouTube videos. There is no one on earth that can explain this whole thing is lucid and clearly and open-minded as him. You will learn a ton. It stops there. Anybody else is going to start to go into this whole stop at Andreas, start at Andreas, start at Andreas. Everything he says is spot on. It's clear. You can understand it. He has basic, basic videos on what Bitcoin is. Everything we discuss here today, he has a very clear explanation of that. And then as you start to graduate in your overall mental capacity around this stuff, he has some very complex videos as well. Anyone else that I would recommend, there's a lot of nuance to it. And there are some good folks out there. I know, again, there's Pomp, there's Stefan Levera, there's Peter McCormick. They're all out there. Robert Breedlove, there's a whole bunch of folks. But there is some really good basic resources for folks just to start. And again, if you are on Twitter, I would consider following Coinmetrics, Delphi Digital, Bloomberg Crypto does a good job with some pieces here and there. And again, Investopedia has some really good basics on what crypto is. They've done a good job there. But I'm always asked this question. I keep it very basic because where I get my information, it's a lot like it's really way out there. So scaling down in those areas, I think will be a good primer for people to start. Yeah, there's a lot of good resources there and people that I follow and have learned a ton from. And again, like I talked about at the top, I have a good post that has a link to the white paper, has a link to some of those people, but I'll include some of the other names and some of the YouTube videos because I think that'll be helpful as well. So just for those that, A, I would encourage them to follow you on Twitter because I think, A, you'll learn a lot. You'll get some inspiration. You'll see just what the world looks like. And I know that everyone listening to this is not necessarily interested in finance or Bitcoin. But if you've listened this far, you probably are. So where would you send people if they want to follow your work, get to know more about what you're trying to do from a financial literacy piece or just learn? Right. My website, TyroneRoss.io. I have a lot of podcasts like this that I've done there with some of the bigger and more advanced crypto podcasts in the space. If you really want to get more into the weeds and especially how advisors look at it. But TyroneRoss.io has all of my stuff there at TR401 is my Twitter handle. And again, Tyrone Ross Jr., you can find me on LinkedIn. But if you go to my website, tyroneross.io, it's all there. And I think one of the things that I kind of hang my hat on is I kind of jumped on a train back in 2015, which was late for those that weren't crypto OGs, but incredibly early for advisors. <laughs> so I've built up this trove of being on different podcasts and having conversations about so many different things. So that's on there and some of the talks that I've given and things like that. But it all revolves around making this basic financial education for people. Because what I do believe is you can't begin to understand Bitcoin without the basics 
of understanding economics and finance and psychology and game theory and computer science and cryptography, even religion to some point, right? Satoshi is like the digital Jesus. <laughs> so it's important to have all those cornerstones to really start to understand Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Appreciate all yeah. the work you're doing. And it's fun to finally get a good conversation. This is the first time we've actually yeah. got to chat, even though we feel like we've known <laughs> you for a long time. But Absolutely. everyone, thank you so much. This was awesome. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you again for having me and sharing your platform for this. And again, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. Your clients must love you. And your work is bespoke. You're very honest, open, clear, and just very down to earth. And you are exemplary of what all financial advisors should aim to be. So I appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah is the founder of ID Financial Planning and Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor in the state of Indiana. The biggest compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is a platform that is predominantly how people listen to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review and rating. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information and insights and the ability to have your voice heard, please consider joining the private podcast Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll down to the About Your Host and click on the Facebook icon. Then I can approve you, let you into the group, and would love to hear from you there. Thanks for listening, and I'll be talking again to you soon.